0: Welcome to Audio
1: Club, a new music technology podcast from Yorkshire Soundwomen Network. I'm Cara C, and each month I'm going to be talking to some amazing women and gender minority audio professionals who will be telling us about their work and also sharing some creative inspiration, career advice, gear tips and much more. In this episode, we're grabbing a handful of patch leads and plugging into the world of modular synthesizers. For some fans of pre-built synths, modular can seem like just a learning curve too far. But once you get to grips with them, they can be absorbing, some might say addictive, liberating and endlessly adaptable. I'm joined this time by Dr. Liz Dobson and Zoe Blade, both of whom have found that modular setups more than reward the effort needed to understand them. The co-founder of Yorkshire Sound Women Network, Liz is a Huddersfield-based music technology educator and sound designer, whose current projects include using a violin in conjunction with a modular synth. More on that later. And Zoe is a Stoke-on-Trent-based musician and programmer, who not only uses modular synths extensively in her own music, but who, along with her partner, Nina Richards, designed and launched step sequencer module called stepper acid so join us now as we patch our signal path straight into audio club let's start with what are modular synths and how are they different from the keyboards that we're more familiar with and the synthesizer sort of units that we might be more familiar with seeing zoe could you start us on what are modular synths
2: uh yeah sure um really the first synthesizers were originally modular Back in the day when you used to phone someone way before our time, the operator would patch you through to the other person and a modular synthesizer works in very much the same way. Uh, Like the cable girls there, we'll just kind of plug in a cable to one person then plug in the other end to another person and then they can talk to each other. That's the same way the different parts of a modular synthesizer work. So you have to physically connect each part of it. You want to connect to another part, you would actually see the connection instead of it being kind of abstracted away from you.
1: Wow, I love that. Yeah, definitely. It's like connecting different parts. And do you need a keyboard or can you operate it without a keyboard?
2: Usually uh, people use a keyboard just because that's what they're used to with synthesizers. But it can really work with anything that you can represent with a voltage. So if you're a singer, you can uh, use something called an envelope follower, which uh, basically just uh, keeps track of how loud your voice is over time and you can use a pitch detector to detect what your pitch is at any given time and with that combination uh, you can actually get the synthesizer to uh, kind of emulate your singing uh, which Addison Goldfrapp did in an early recording to, to very good effect
1: mm yeah wow so it's it's almost like recording or you know it's sampling in a way it's it's getting to know what what you have and then using that as a trigger to then create sounds yeah
2: yes if you play any monophonic instruments then it can kind of uh, take what you're doing and then kind of improve upon it or kind of warp it in interesting ways.
1: Yeah. So how is that different from the more self-contained kind of boxes? Is it literally you've got different sections and different parts of the sound creation, if you like, in different little boxes?
2: Yes. It's very much like the difference between, say, having a toy versus having Lego, and then you can make any toy out of it. It gives you the basic building blocks that you can then connect in any different way you like. And if you're good at lateral thinking, then it's really the kind of system for you because you think, actually, if only I could swap these around and, and connect this to that instead of what it happens to be connected to that someone else decided. And you can have the freedom to do that. So with the modular system, it's entirely up to you what to connect to whatever else in what order, and that can drastically change the sound. Yeah,
1: wow. If there's more pre-built synths that are available... Mm-hmm and they're sort of getting more popular now, how do you go about sort of getting to know them? Is, is it okay just to step straight into modular synthesis or would you recommend getting to know other kinds of synths, maybe software synths or more contained ones first?
2: Um, well, first of all, modular is kind of as opposed to uh, hardwired. It's just whether you can kind of see the signal path or not. And even if it's in software, that's still a totally valid modular system just as much as the hardware ones. I would recommend using, say, cheaper or ideally free software first just to see if it's for you or not. It may not necessarily sound quite as interesting or be uh, quite as useful, but given that these things can cost a bit, you definitely want to try before you buy. So anything you can do to work out whether it's for you or not before you spend money, that's a good idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, Liz, you also love your modular synths. And um, do you have any idea why they might be getting more popular again? Because obviously they were there at the beginning, they've developed and now they've kind of become more popular again, haven't they?
0: Yeah, I think Zoe's explained that so beautifully. Um, They're becoming cheaper. You can get like the Korg little bits synthesizer so you can have an oscillator and you can literally plug it into another oscillator and do FM synthesis straight off the bat. So you can get some really cheap. Um, little bits and pieces and also you can get um, vcv rack is a good example of software where you can really explore the concept of modular synthesis before actually spending a lot of money but then it becomes a little like train spotting you know you can become really geeked out on very expensive kit very quickly and go to um, sort of a synth fest and see what kind of setups everybody has created so it can become sort of endlessly absorbing uh from something very very simple and that's that's the thing that's both enchanting and extremely (laughs) alarming at times about it as well it can very quickly become very expensive but the, the thing that i particularly love about the modular is that you can get back to basics and through working with this lateral way of thinking you can like zoe said connect anything with anything and really learn about the fundamentals Especially if you're not working with any kind of input or keyboard, you're you're working with a signal path, and then you need to learn how to patch that, and and you can get somewhere very very quickly. It's super tangible.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like you can have almost a kind of freedom to develop your own sound. Do you find that it sort of gives you that power in a way to really go down the rabbit hole of all the sounds and the kind of characters of sounds that you like?
0: For me, yes, you can disappear into a rabbit hole uh, and enter a kind of state of Uh, if you like flow where you're really absorbed by the process and the sound but you could approach it with the this idea of a particular sound that you want to get out of it as well Um, but that state of being in play with the synthesizer is an end point in itself I think for me and certain others as well yeah Zoe do you want to add anything to
2: that Yeah, I mean, that's all very much correct. I mean, for me, it really gave me a distinct voice using the synthesizer, but I'm not sure how much of that was just not knowing entirely what I was doing and accidentally doing things wrong a little bit. And all those little things add up, like just accidentally distorting things from pretty much every step of the way. It really kind of gives it a very interesting character, even when you make mistakes, they can actually sound quite good. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of when I started out on a sort of, it was a standard sort of analogue digital synthesizer. And especially if you're on your own, no one's telling you how it should sound. Mm. (laughs) Then in a way you can just decide for yourself, can't you? And as you say, those Mm. little changes or those little choices or accidents do add up to create the real character for your
0: sound. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And unlike when you're working in a, a studio where you've got a live feed and speakers and an audio input where you you can get a horrible feedback loop and frighten yourself. You know, there's really not much that you can do that's going to be problematic if you're playing with a modular synth unless you're actually building it and you plug things in upside down, which I've also done um, and burnt out um, an oscillator. But if you're just using it, there's really nothing you can do wrong. Yeah, wow, cool. Can we name some sort of favourite women
1: non-binary artists who use modular synths? and how we think that kind of characterises their music. So an obvious one for me is Suzanne Ciani, I'm aware of, and Aurelia Smith. But um, do we know of any others that are doing stuff that, yeah, that we think it would be interesting for people to check out? There's Modular
0: Princess as well, isn't there? I know that Zoe will will have quite a few, but I was lucky enough to go to the Funk House in Berlin at Loop a few years back and see Caterina Barbieri play Patterns of Consciousness. And what was... Super enchanting was being in that space and really appreciating that the performance wasn't really just about the organisation of notes, but the timbre and the interaction of that timbre with the space. So, so beautiful, really enchanting music.
1: Yeah, Suzanne Chiani talks about it being an organic relationship between her and her booklet and other units that she used. And there's something more about being in it, isn't there, in a sense? Sorry.
2: Uh, Well, um, I I hope I don't mispronounce anyone. Um, Like Laurie Spiegel, I wanted to kind of mention, Mm. because not only way back did she use a modular synthesizer, but she also got into writing her own software too, to play it with. And I think it's really this kind of mindset, just kind of going possibly a level deeper than what you strictly have to, to kind of play with the form. So she's kind of having control over the sounds of the notes and also uh, over the notation itself in a way that she was exploring different ways of doing it that you kind of couldn't do before, which I thought was really quite inspiring. And the other one I wanted to mention, I know everyone says Delia Derbyshire, but I thought I'd uh, mention Daphne Oram. Whereas Delia Derbyshire worked in the Radiophonic Workshop, Daphne Oram set up the Radiophonic Workshop mm. and she literally wrote the book on synthesis. Is
1: that an individual note? That's the one, yes. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I find the way she explains mm-hmm. capacitors and transistors and she, she explains it all in the form of cookery and sexual attraction and then you go yes I get it I get it <laughs> she breaks it down in such a sort of yeah accessible but also mm. really poetic way as well doesn't she yeah mm. and I guess her awamics machine was a kind of synth was it not
2: uh, very much so yes can you
1: tell us more about that
2: I mean it's radically different to all the others so it's kind of um quite distinct if I remember correctly that's the uh, visual one where you kind of etch onto a film like the the way it forms and then uh it's like a photoresistor, which kind of sees how much light's getting through and based on that it'll work out the pitch and the volume
1: yeah it's
2: the exact same thing it's just done on film instead of on wires i mean then it goes through wires but it's just this whole thing about values changing and uh, fundamentally synthesizers are drawing shapes it's just with her machine that you get to see the shapes physically which is a nice change
1: We're listening to Zoe's track Drex, where she used a ribbon controller in conjunction with her modular synth to create expressive effects, increasing and decreasing the brightness of each note in the same way that brass players use their mutes. So Zoe, tell us about um, how you first got into modular synths and then how you and Nina have started to design and build
2: your own modules. Well, I mean, I wanted to use modular synthesizers for a while, but up until I think the mid 90s when Dope first started making Eurorack synthesizers, they used to be very, very big and very, very expensive. And he started to make them smaller and a bit more affordable, not exactly cheap, but a bit more affordable. And that's when I could just have like a little row or two of uh, of modular synthesizer, and I remember Nina getting a bit worried because there's so many good musicians we lost <laughs> to Eurorack, where they just kind of stopped making music and started making beeps and boops. And while you can do that, you can say uh, use a MIDI to CV converter to connect them to a door and your regular kind of setup that you might use for other instruments, or you can use a ribbon controller to play it the same kind of way, uh, not quite how you would play a violin, but that kind of uh, having that level of expressivity. And you can really get quite a, a lot of um, expression out of a synthesizer. It's just a lot of people into modules happen not to, but they can do that. And if you're a musician, I really want to encourage more musicians to look into this, because you don't need to know that much of the technical side to really make it um, quite an expressive instrument you can use. Uh, as far as Nina and I making a step of acid goes, that is mostly Nina. Uh, She's getting into electronics at the time. And so as she wanted to build things with electronics, and I was starting to use the synthesizer, I started to ask her, hey, could you maybe make a module for me that would do this? And we kind of, you know, collaborated on that one. We were wondering how long it could possibly take and ended up being like a year or so. Mm. I think one thing
1: I find interesting is a lot of people are building them themselves as well, aren't they? I mean, obviously you're having to get the parts from China, but it's, do a lot of people actually build the machines themselves? Those that sell them, if you like
2: in terms of putting together different modules from all over the place there's lots of people doing that mm. in terms of the people actually making the modules there's a real cottage industry where there'll be someone who says like I don't know how to make a sequencer or anything but I can make uh, just a filter and I can do that and even if they don't add to do anything else that that one little device is still useful because it can work alongside other people's devices so the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts if you can make a part of a synthesizer that's still useful people can still put that in the context of a complete machine.
1: Amazing. Um, I love the story of your oven that you have in your garage. Oh, yes. Does it make the circuits? Is that right?
2: Yes, there's a repurposed Argos toaster oven that Nina's using as a reflow uh, kind of machine, which works surprisingly well.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. And Liz, you've built your own modular from parts, including Nina and Zoe's stepper acid sequencer, Can you tell us how this came about and um, what did you need to know beforehand?
0: Yeah, I became interested in synthesis, well, years ago, but the, the modular through Nina and Zoe delivering a workshop actually, where they were working with girls on soldering a PCB sound synthesizer. And watching this workshop, I realized that it's possible to purchase kits and quite quickly learn how to follow instructions and solder components together without knowing anything at all about electronics. And I've tried, believe me, but I just don't get electronics at all. But I do feel like I I have the patience to solder PCBs, printed circuit boards together and follow instructions. And that opened up the possibility of starting to to build a modular. Also, uh, to create something that I could take with me into schools and work with young people. Um, so I've run that workshop myself, and through doing that, developed my own understanding quite a lot more. But I really wanted to see if I could put together a modular, and I'd, I'd got some savings, and I got some modules that I soldered. But most of the module, because it's quite time-consuming, most of the modules came um, already put together. But I had an idea for a composition a sort of project where I wanted to control the modular with my violin. So the idea of the composition incorporated the the decisions to buy certain modules. So I've got lots of oscillators on there. Um, I should have got more filters, but actually quite basic modular components, no uh, super whizzy computers apart from the stepper acid, which is Nina and Zoe's um, sequencer which is wonderful but the module really is part of that composition trajectory and my aim to take it into schools and help children to understand the differences and similarities between software and hardware synthesis and also to be able to bring it to life so using a modular put into Ableton and Isotope you can actually see the sound in uh, beautiful colours and really join the dots for all kinds of different learners. Yeah, and in a way, yeah, visualise it more. Yeah, you, you can see the hotspots. Yeah. You can see what, what an arpeggiated sound looks like. You can see, importantly, uh, differences between wave shapes.
2: Um, it's no longer abstract. Lovely. That's one of the main things I'm trying to get across to people is as complex as this stuff looks, it's a bunch of simple shapes being combined in different ways.
0: Exactly that. It's um, It's extremely accessible, I think.
1: Yeah, like a studio can feel like that when you first walk into a recording studio. It can feel intimidating to look at a big mixing desk and you realise it's just the same thing repeated a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So I guess, yeah, as again, if you can break it down to that modular level and make it more understandable for yourself, then, um, yeah, then the world is your
2: Lego oyster, I guess. <laughs> well, you can get one module at a time and learn one module at a time and don't get any more until you've learned it. That's the theory.
1: Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and do
0: you plan to add to your setup, your modular setup, Liz? It's been the same for a long time. And I, I seem to be able to have infinite hours of joy out of this simple setup because of the way you can configure it. You know, it, it is tempting to look at other modules, but I've got a fairly clear creative objective for it. And um, I'm planning to to explore this composition further with uh, violinist Irene Rosner's who works with musicians who work with electronics, um, but not usually with modular. Um, So we're exploring this composition where the violin is sending control voltage to the oscillators and, you know, inviting the synthesizer to sing in a sort of duet with the violin. Wow, cool. And Zoe, can you tell us a bit about your modular setup,
1: how it started and how it's grown?
2: It has grown a little bit over the years, I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, it started as um, about two rows of dope for A100, which at the time was, you know, that, that the main, I think still is fairly the, one of the more predominant uh, Eurorack uh, companies. Uh, pretty much started the whole Eurorack thing about shrinking it into a manageable size. They kind of ballooned a bit from there. Uh, especially as there's a company that's not necessarily the the most ethical company but they do make cheap modules this i won't name them but i've been getting a few of those as well and it's very hard to refuse uh, clones of kind of iconic synths throughout the ages that are quite affordable uh so i kind of couldn't resist getting a few of those uh really though back what i first had originally was enough to make like a, a pretty decent album with so You can stick with, I say, just, but, you know, say about two rows worth is more than enough to to make whole albums with.
1: And thinking about how someone might want to integrate uh, modular units within their existing music making, can you connect a keyboard to one and play it or do you have to use a sequencer? How can it interact with other instruments or your studio kit?
2: You can use a keyboard. A keyboard can output MIDI and you can get a MIDI to CV converter. And CV is what all of the older synthesizers use. That will work with pretty much any synthesizer from the 60s through to the current modular synthesizers. So pretty much anything will work with either MIDI or CV, and you can convert between them. So it's pretty standardized.
0: I have on my modular, I've got an Expert Sleepers ES8, which effectively is connected to my computer. It's USB um so you can send cv from your computer from your door and you can send the signal through back to the computer as well so you can record the output of the modular so you can integrate it into ableton um for example using auxiliary inputs
2: yes that bypasses midi altogether yeah
0: exactly yeah yeah and i've heard the word eurorack are they one of
1: the main makers of modular synths
2: it's more of a standard than a maker Back in the 90s, there were three companies. There was Dopfer in Germany, and in Britain, there was Analog Systems and Analog Solutions. And I've never quite managed to work out exactly who was first. I think it was Dopfer, but I'm not sure. But they all started using this kind of standard between them of making everything a particular height for all the modules. There's a certain kind of standard for the widths. The widths can change a bit, but only within certain parameters. And so if you get a Eurac case, you can put any Eurac modules in that case, and it's always using the same power at the back to go into the modules to make them function. And it's using the same uh, physical dimensions and it uses the same patch cables at the front. So any Eurac modules will be compatible with any other Eurac modules and fit in and be powered by a Eurac case. So it's very much a standard now. And that's why I think it flourished amongst all sort of the the cottage industry of the people making it is because there was this open standard that everyone was allowed to use.
1: Yeah yeah I imagine there's some very creative solutions for um for holding them like the units kind of thing I imagine people making some funky boxes and stuff like that.
0: Yeah actually Lola York I believe uh creates cases out of logs so yeah <laughs> I hadn't even
1: thought of Oh nice bit heavy but I was just thinking about live and how, you know, whether you use them live and the kind of pros and cons of that. I was actually talking to Look Mum No Computer, who built his thousand oscillator <laughs> drone machine during lockdown, making thousands of yeah, circuit boards. And he was actually saying he doesn't like computers because he can't rely on them. He, does, he said at least if something breaks in a modular setup, he knows because he built it. He knows where the problem is and he can fix it. And it's almost like you can't get into computers in the same way. How do you feel about, yeah, the reliability, the predictability of using modular versus, yeah, more enclosed consumer-based units, I
2: guess? I mean, I think that's less of a kind of modular versus hardware thing and more of a kind of hardware versus software thing. in that the computers and the hardware synthesizers break in different ways. I kind of wish you asked me this last week before I had a a sampler break on me in a very bad way. In terms of live usage, um, the modular synthesizer, we kind of use almost like a a TB303 to make a very, very specific kind of sound uh, where it's making these kind of acid lines like in acid house music back in the 80s and 90s. Anything else? I mean, I've heard people making drones and things with it. But anyone making kind of really melodic music with it, uh, in my experience, that's been kind of multi-tracking it in a studio rather than playing it live. Mm. And I think you can play it live in a good way, but probably usually more the way Liz does where you're connecting it to another instrument, something like a violin or singing into it or having a ribbon controller, something we can get that kind of expressive sound out of it. Because there's a lot of people live just kind of making drones with it, which is okay. But I mean it's not quite the same as the the kind of sounds that you can make with it when it's in a studio so it's it's kind of tricky it depends on your setup really
0: yeah i think if i draw a slight comparison between the computer and the synth as in soft synth and hardware one of the lovely things with the the hardware of course is you can use both hands so you're not dependent on a mouse and you're also not using presets so if you're performing live you have to develop some kind of system so that you understand how to reach the sound that you had planned creatively. Mm. I've collaborated with the Female Laptop Orchestra and whilst the rest of the ensemble can switch everything out really quickly, I'm now really repatching everything and developing some elaborate system for trying to remember what we've just organised and what we've just arranged. So those are sort of problems for live performance, but they're quite interesting problems, I think, to have.
2: Well, that's one of the singular best and worst things about old synthesizers and modular Mm -hmm. synthesizers is they have no memory. I mean, it's kind of bad in a way because, you know, it doesn't have any presets. You have to make all the sounds from scratch yourself each time. But the flip side of that is because you're having to make your own sounds from scratch each time, you get a lot of practice in and you really start to get this intuitive feel for how the sounds are created from scratch, how you build them up out of nothing in effect. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword in that sense, and I think it's great in the studio because every song I make has completely different sounds to every other song I make. But live, it would take far too long to kind of you know make a. I, I can't really patch up a, a kick drum for five minutes while someone else is entertaining the audience. That wouldn't work, you know. So for me, that doesn't work so well live.
1: Mm-hmm. And Zoe, um, so you mentioned the free software versions. Um, how good are they compared to the real? analog hardware, get-your-hands-on-it things?
2: I mean, probably Liz can speak to this better than me. I'd say that the VCV rack, I had a quick kind of play around with it earlier. It's not quite the same. I'm not entirely clear on how you actually get the notes into it in the first place because it's trying to be this self-contained thing. I think they're going to make it a plug-in soon so it will work indoors like Ableton Live. Um, It's not quite as kind of quirky and interesting as analog hardware. But as it's free, it's very much something I kind of wish I'd had back in the day just, you know, to see whether it's worth taking the plunge or not. Definitely something to practice on, something to learn your way around the system on. Other alternatives are if you wait till say, Black Friday, it's not free. But there are a few companies that make plugins that emulate particular, say, modular synthesizers, like Autoria have their Moog modular clone. Native Instruments have Reactor, which is this kind of very versatile modern one but VCV rack I think is that the main free one that um has uh, all the different modules in it.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Years ago I learned VAS modular but I don't think that's produced anymore and it had a particular nice acid sound to it but it is a lovely way to understand signal path and VCV rack. On the iPad um my rack or Mi rack, Mi rack is is the equivalent. Reason is popular and again native instruments reactor but there are sort of one-off emulators like the IVCS-3 EMS synth. It costs £12, but if, if you really want to understand how that synth works and then you have a chance to use the real thing, um, that can save you a bit of time and you can get some pretty nice sounds out of it, but you can't feel the real vibration of the box of the instrument, and the real nuance of the sound and the timbre is, I feel, better with the acoustic synth.
2: I completely forgot about iPads. Yes, there's a nice MS-20 clone by Quark themselves, I believe, and Moog have brought out a, a little kind of emulation of one of theirs as well.
0: If you're feeling really ambitious, you could look at Audulus 3. I find it a little bit difficult to get into, but if you're feeling confident, then that's a very powerful platform.
1: That was a work-in-progress recording documenting the collaboration between Liz and violinist Irina Rezness. You can hear the synth responding to the violin. A Max MSP patch has been set up to receive the frequency, so when the violin plays a particular pitch, the signal is sent to different control voltage outputs that are connected with different oscillators. Some frequencies trigger a return to all following the violin, And some trigger the split. If you're wanting to get into modular, can you recommend any good sources of information or advice?
2: Well, there's mod Regular. It's been a while since I hung out there. I think they're friendly still, are they? Uh, I assume they're good. In terms of actually um, learning uh, about how to patch things, you know, the kind of nuts and bolts of how to make the sounds, there's a free series of articles on Sound on Sound's website called Synth Secrets. And that teaches you pretty much everything you need to know about synthesis. So it would take a while to get through them. But that can really give you a whole kind of course in how to make sounds.
1: Cool. A free home study course. That's great. Mm -hmm. In terms of any kind of YouTube tutorial channels that you're aware of?
2: I'm trying to make one.
1: Yay. (laughs) Are there many already out there?
2: My experience has been more with the kind of reviewing modules, and I want to see more where they're actually explaining how to use the modules and how synthesis works, not specific to any one particular module, but just here's how oscillators work, here's how filters work. I'm not sure how many like that there are. I think probably one or two, but I'm trying to kind of um, help with that. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, I definitely recommend looking at Zoe's materials online, but also a podcast by Alex Dickston, Myler Melodies. He's got lots of really interesting interviews. And also, DivKid Ben Wilson's work online is interesting. Uh, lots of presentations, like Zoe says, presentations of specific modules, but not fundamental principles necessarily. Artists to watch or interviews with artists can be interesting. So, Caitlin Aurelia Smith is a composer who's presented a lovely interview with Fact TV looking at uh, creative practice. And there are so many videos of Suza Kiani uh, performances and Lady Starlight. Yeah, there's lots online to become immersed in, but like Zoe says, not, not so much, which really well explains the fundamentals.
1: Yeah, so um, hopefully, Zoe, you can get that up and running <laughs> soon. Yeah. Talking of that, where can people find your work online? So Zoe, what's your YouTube channel called?
2: Uh, my YouTube channel is Transistor Sounds. That's the name of my record label. So there's a few videos there. There's one on filters. I'm just about to upload later this week, one on oscillators and things these can do. Um, you can also download my music at Zoeblades.com.
1: Fantastic. And to find the machines that you and Nina build, that's also Transistor Sounds, is it?
2: That's Transistor Sounds Labs. That's the uh, hardware division. Yep.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And Liz, can we find your music online at all? Yeah, just look at drlizdobson.com and I've got a SoundCloud. But actually, if you go to drlizdobson.com, you'll find my music there and some of my sound design. I did want to recommend a book as well called Patch and Tweak. Yes. It's a lovely, comprehensive introduction. It's not especially cheap, but if you can get it to your local library and then have a look at it. It's got some beautiful interviews in there as well. I think it's really well put together. Yeah, one for the Christmas list. Absolutely, yeah.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. Finally, what would be your dream modular synth setup? Either one belonging to another musician or one that you could customise or build yourself. Zoe?
2: I'm never sure. I mean, I'm always just about one or two modules away from my ideal setup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really don't know.
1: I like that. That's. I think just that as a short and sweet response, it just says a lot. That's perfect.
0: It, it, it could be endless, couldn't it? You know, to, to walk into a room where you have so much stuff that you... You know, the more simple things are, sometimes the more creative and interesting it it can become. Um, so you can be completely overwhelmed. My dream would be to be able to access a synth library where you can borrow something and then take it back again and really play and explore lots of different synths before you build your own system. So it's not so much a dream modular synth, but a, a dream sort of library.
1: Mm, yeah, a bit like car sharing or, you know, kind of, yeah, a library where you can just really get to know them all and then find out what really works for you. Yeah, that's nice. Definitely. can see that working. And it, yeah, there is that thing of too much. Isn't, it's not all about how much stuff you have, is it, either? It's that finding those, maybe the kind of particular makers or the approach or the kind of units that really work for you, because ultimately we are interested in a, making a particular kind of music, aren't we?
0: Yeah, I think it's about finding that production flow that works and then experimenting with it.
2: I think it's more about the the mindset and the actual thinking. Just, you know, once you realise, like, well, I can write the music, but then I can also have control over what the sounds themselves sound like, making them from scratch, and then realising, well, if I can connect anything to anything, then you start to think about all these weird and different ways you can achieve certain things that you think, well, I don't have this module, but how can I achieve something like it with the ones I do have? And you just start to think about really creative solutions to problems you might have.
1: Fantastic, great. Well, that's lovely. Thank you both very much for your time today, and good luck. All the best with your adventures in modular. Thank
0: you very much.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Audio Club is a podcast from Yorkshire Sound Women Network, presented by me, Kara C, and edited by Joe Kennedy. The theme music is by Iwan Obinyan, and it was produced by Abby Bliss. This podcast is supported using public funding. By the National Lottery through Arts Council England. To find out more about Yorkshire Sound Women Network, you can visit yorkshiresoundwomen.com. Thank you for listening.